0: I don't think this is very funny.
1: Bobby. Who is this? As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry. Your palms damp. Suddenly a chill runs down your spine. You clutch the person next to you. You tell yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. But sooner or later, it's time to go home. Welcome to Film Strip. I'm Jay, and I'm Ron. This is our review of Venom. Starring Sterling Hayden, Klaus Kinski, Susan George, Lance Holcomb, Cornelia Sharp, Nicole Williamson, and Oliver Reed. Directed by Piers Haggard, released in 1982, uh, grossed, above, grossed $5.2 million in the box office, had a small but loyal cult following. And, of course, I have a story as to why we're doing this, but I want to hear from you first, uh, Ron. I know you know who Klaus Kinski is, but any uh, relation to Venom before we review to hear
0: uh not to this movie no this was uh, a complete surprise and i still wonder to this day why we did it so i'll be glad to to, to get that explanation from you tonight
1: well i'll see if i can work on that one that'll take throughout the the show i guess but i learned about this movie i guess i was 10 or 11 years old and one of my scout friends I think his dad had rented it one weekend like a bunch of people were over and he rented it purely off the VHS box there's a lot of versions of it but the one I have and I actually own a VHS of this has a fist coming through a wall with a pistol and a snake wrapped around it and nice and I mean, rented it just off of that, and the dude told me, he said, man, this movie's crazy. It's like this hijacking, and then there's like all these terrorists, and this, and then there's the snake, and it's crazy. You know, it's the Black Mamas, like the deadliest snake ever, and you know, so it was like this playground thing, right? Everybody's talking about it. And I was like, holy cow, I've got to see this movie. Well, I never could find it in the local video stores or anything like that. So I think I might have been in college when I finally like bumped into it, and I said, yes, must watch, rented it. Fell in love with it years later at a flea market. Found the VHS again for like a dollar. Bought it and have owned it for a few years now. And I've probably seen this movie maybe four or five times, but I always had like this fond memory of it. Even though. It's not good, like it's a B picture all the way, like I'm look this is shocktober and as we joked in the Carnosaur Show, we might as well have just called this Schlocktober because of the the stuff we're doing this month is is really like on the edge of the genre, like honestly it it really is, and uh i but i but I'm excited about this one though, to talk about it because I was like, you know this is. There's so much here that is just ridiculous, but yet every time I watch this movie, I mean, it's 90 minutes long and it just blows right by. Like there's, it wastes no time getting you right into it. You've got drunk Sterling Hayden at his, probably his drunkest, you know, one of his last roles here, uh, stumbling (laughs) around in this thing. You've got this kid who I'm pretty sure doesn't know what kind of movie he's in. You got Susan George, you know. I don't know if this is pre or post Simon McCorkendale, but, you know, it's somewhere in there. You got Oliver Reed, who apparently he and Kinski hated each other so much on set and it bled over into the script, which you can see. And then I found out this thing was based on a book and I was like, no way. And I was like, no, you know, this is the kind of cheap dime store novel that a thriller movie like this could be based on. And, so I, I'm excited to get into it and talk about it because it's, it's a childhood favorite. And that's a dangerous road to go down when you go revisit the childhood favorite in adulthood. Like, does it hold up and under the critical eye? I'll be curious to see. But, uh, yeah, I, and I, I you know, forgive me, but I thought of anybody I could review this with, you know, Ron would be the person that might appreciate it. I knew Nick would hate it and tear it apart. So, so I said, well, let me try it to Ron and see if he can find anything you know, worthwhile saving in this. Now Klaus Kinski's a a thing for you, like, right? You know you like when I said this immediately, you were like, oh yeah, him.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I enjoy his brand of uh, off kilter weirdness. Uh when I was watching this movie with my wife the first time and I had to go back and, and watch the second half again just to try to get a handle on what was going on and how. Um but I, yeah I told my wife it was like he's like if you could mash Peter Laurie and Tommy Wiseau up in one of those <laughs> fly chambers, like Klaus. Yeah. Uh, plus, like a Hugo, the evil puppet from Devil Doll, and like that would be Klaus Kinski.
1: That's an excellent, excellent pull, by the way. And I think you're right. He is a mash of things here. I mean, he's got he's got a funky name, Yakamel. You know, he's it, it's short for like two different things, but he's supposed to be this. You know, badass, terrorist, thief, like the whole thing centers around like taking a, a rich couple's kid kidnap and, and then the snake is sort of an accidental thing that happens along the way because the pet store screwed up, you know? So I, I just, I don't know. I, I really, um always related to this because i i hate snakes like of all of my animal fears in the world i Indian. why did it have Jones. to be snakes yeah it's exactly why <laughs> did it have to be snakes i'm with you i just i can't do it they're the devil i can't handle it you know no legs they move it's just i i can't do it and so there's something about that that's all but there's something about them that's always intrigued me too especially this black mamba thing because you know, that was the, the playground myth too. was like, oh, what's the deadliest snake ever? And I don't even know what the answer to that is nowadays anymore. But I remember the Mamba used to be on that list, but the Mamba was also fast, right? Now I'm also mm-hmm. a big NBA fan. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and say now I, I, you know, I don't necessarily approve of his off the field, off the court antics, but Kobe Bryant was an amazing player to watch in his heyday. And of course he was called Mamba because of the way he moved. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's the super fast snake. And the thing about the black Mamba is that I always, that was neat was how freaking big they are I mean, they're like six and a half feet, they're thick and they're named not because of the color of their scales, but because their mouth is totally black on the inside. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And I just thought there was something cool about a snake that had very small fangs that really wasn't that, you know, uh, imposing of a figure, but if it bit you, you were like dead within minutes.
0: Yeah, it's, that is I was never big into snakes i was never like fascinated by snakes or anything but like i can definitely see why that would be like the most interesting snake i mean we both grew up in the south so like we're familiar with like you know copperheads and rattlesnakes and stuff like that but not like nothing quite on the level of the black mamba at least as far as uh, the movie venom is concerned because they are Selling this thing is like the meth head of snakes.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, the snake, and that's the amazing thing. I think the the first credit in the end credits is thank you to the snake handler because otherwise this movie would have been garbage. You know, I mean, that's pretty much what it says. And I it does was,
0: look like a real, like a, it. It does look like a lot of shots of a real snake, which is pretty great.
1: I mean, yeah, that's the thing is, I I expected, and my memory had told me there's a lot of puppet in this. There's really, I mean, there. The end scene is probably the most famously version of it. We'll get to that, but the rest of the time, it's the mamba. It's a real mamba, and the mamba wrangler getting it to act. Which is, I don't know how one acquires that skill or learns how to do that. You know, getting a Mamba to method act, but it does. And, uh I mean, this thing is pretty, uh I mean, it knows what its cue is. It looks at the camera several times. It even has a startled look on its face all the time. I think it's the other thing about it, too, because like other snakes, like you mentioned Copperheads and, and rattlesnakes and stuff. Like they have those slanted eyes and like they look like, you know, like pissed off, right? The Black Mamba oh, just yeah. looks like utterly surprised <laughs> that you're looking at it so it's almost like a muppet
0: it's definitely the uh the most confused looking snake and i wasn't sure if that was just how they always looked or if that was its response to being like prodded off screen by some guy with a stick
1: that i wonder that too and what i've seen of them on discovery channel and stuff that they, they don't really you know focus on him that much so i don't know but i guess before we get into this because i have a feeling a lot of people haven't seen this one so ron give us a summary of venom if you would
0: sure will an international criminal named jacmel played by klaus kinski at his most coked up plans to kidnap and ransom a wealthy couple's precocious child along with the family maid susan george and driver oliver reed However, when the boy's adventurous grandfather, Sterling Hayden, uh, lets him go out on his own to buy another pet for his collection, things take a turn for the strange as the boy accidentally picks up a deadly black mamba which was slated to go to a toxicology lab. The snake attacks and kills the maid, then the driver shoots a policeman who stops by the house to warn the family about the deadly animal mix-up. As the standoff intensifies and becomes full-on Day of the Jackal, th- the police break in where the driver is shot, but the snake kills both the officer and the wounded villain trapped in the basement. I don't remember the snake killing that officer. We'll get there. The snake finally squares off with Jock Mel, and while coiled around his arm, the two crash through a window as police snipers fire, killing both the criminal and the snake.
1: Yeah, and I will say, correction too, I think Jacques Mel actually gets a shot off to kill the snake finally, but they both get yeah, hit several Jacques times. Mel, yeah.
0: yeah, Jacques Mel makes the heads, the snake's head explode.
1: Yeah, they have the Jacques Mel. I think it's a good way to have another subtitle for this. Uh, this And let's just get into the characters real quick. Let's talk about Jacques Mel. You, you described it. The most coked up, most weird, Tommy Wiseau-esque Klaus Kinski here. Like, he... I'm trying to understand exactly what's going on. So we the, like the first scene is the mother's picking up the boy from school and she's talking about now be good while I go visit your father who's you know working out of town so that we can romp around and not have you to bother us and leave you with my drunk you know father to watch over you. Uh I mean it's all just sort of a, we're going to you know put pawn the kid off and uh the kid's only friends appear to be all this menagerie he's got at home.
0: Yeah, he's like the uh, obnoxious little kid from the MST3K classic uh, uh, Night of the Blood Beast, where the kid finds this little space alien, but he has this whole menagerie of weird critters living in a cabin somewhere. Uh, This is one of those kids who seems to only exist in movies. I mean, some kids have, you know, rats or uh, hamsters or even like snakes or spiders, but I don't know anyone who has like an entire room full of creatures that... Seem designed mostly to set off his deadly asthma attacks.
1: Yeah. That's the thing is like he he can barely breathe, but yet he's around all of these animals that molt continually. There's a parrot, (laughs) you know, there's a hamster, there's a gerbil, but he doesn't have any, like, he doesn't have any insects that we can see and he doesn't have any, um, reptiles. So this snake is like a big deal. And I, I'm gonna ask you because I've never caught it and it may not be there. Is there something in there where he drops a line about wanting a snake because he's supposed to pick up like a house snake, which is just what, which is just like a tame little you know nothing snake, and it gets confused with the mamba because the pet store owner's sick that day. I don't remember that, but like, does he drop a line about wanting a snake and Grandpa's like, yeah, yeah, go for it, boy.
0: Um, I don't think so. I think he's got this snake waiting for him and he's just waiting to pick it up for when mom leaves the house.
1: So I guess like they were aware of it anyway, which is the funny part of it. But yeah, you have this kid and the I don't I didn't get what the mother did cuz it's all in London, I think, right? That's what we're led to believe. I, yes, I it is in
0: London and mom is the wife of a famous hotel magnate.
1: So she's like a Hilton wife then, right? Or something like that. Maybe not Hilton, but something along those lines that's what she's supposed to be but she's some sort of government official too because like she has some official title because she talks about working all the time and sterling hayden gets on to her about working all the time
0: i think she her official uh i think she is the wife of howard johnson of howard johnson's hotel chain fame
1: <laughs> maybe maybe that yeah. was it but
0: and she does have some sort of government job but it's kind of a nebulous government job
1: exactly right we don't understand it we don't need to right and what is sterling hayden is he supposed to be like king solomon's minds alan Quatermain retired as a grandfather and that kind of what he's supposed to be because they they lure him out of the house on this idea of him being like a safari hunter but he ends up thwarting their play in any way
0: yeah he is a uh, retired or quasi-retired big game hunter type I always imagined him with the beard and the uh, blood alcohol level as being an Ernest Hemingway type.
1: <laughs> that that can work too. The, he is Hemingway-esque yeah, he in this, except that he actually cares about his family. That's There's the difference. So, because and, yeah, Hemingway but, hated but they,
0: And they are both like constantly sweating gin.
1: Yes, this is true. But he cares about this kid. And the – Can we talk about the relatively low body count in the animal film here, too? I was, like, waiting for him to die. Because that's going to be the dramatic turn is that Grandpa gets it fighting the evil snake. Nope, he lives. He's fine. Like, the only people that die are the bad people and the one cop.
0: Yeah, one cop and uh, Oliver Reed and Susan George, who dies hilariously
1: like Susan George has enough time to like fuss over the kid a little bit, strip tees, take off her underwear, hand them to Oliver Reed and then get bitten by the snake and die. That's, that's as long as she's in this movie.
0: Yeah. And my question is what kind of family would employ Oliver Reed in any capacity
1: as a driver, no less
0: as a drunk driver. (laughs) Maybe this
1: man has no business behind the wheel of a car.
0: I don't see how this guy can even ha- has a license after that many DUIs. I know <laughs> things were different back in the day, but this is 1981, mothers against drunk driving is a thing.
1: But it's in London, so maybe it didn't make it over the pond. Maybe that's uh, how maybe, maybe that's why he is there cuz he can't get work in America. I don't know. Like I didn't understand exactly what the, I mean, I get the plot. We're gonna kidnap the kid, and we're gonna get money out of it somehow. Like that was the thing. But why is this international terrorist involved? It would be like the guy from Invasion USA making doing kidnap jobs to build up money for his arsenal.
0: Speaking of people who are on a lot of cocaine,
1: <laughs> true. <laughs> I, I will, I will, I will admit now. As a kid, I thought those were the same actor. I didn't realize we have Dave. I love that the driver's name is just Dave. Oliver Reed as Dave, is <laughs> what it says on the VHS box I have. And Louise, who are trying to keep young Philip uh, down. And I, do you remember the kid's story about the mongoose that fights the Cobras?
0: not really
1: (laughs) there's a kid's story where like somebody tell us like what the name of it is. there's a kid's story about this mongoose that fights these two cobras anyway the kid in that story reminded me so much of this kid and maybe it's just the snake connection or whatever but it was like this little blonde british child and you know this it would be like if if one of the harry potter kids had a pet snake all of a sudden and it was a black mamba accidentally I do love how he, when he gets home from the store or whatever, he decides to let the maid who's constantly riding him about something uh, and clearly, you know, has the ulterior motives, lets her open the box so that the snake can pop its head out and be like, Who the hell are you? and bite her on the face three times.
0: <laughs> it was almost like she'd opened up a can of, of those uh, coil snakes, the spring snakes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Either that or someone with an arm through that box hurled a rubber snake at her face.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I love that the camera goes to like snake POV, right? Yes.
0: Snake, uh, snake cam was one of my favorite recurring elements in the movie.
1: Yeah. We got a lot of snake-o-vision in this movie. And you know, though, I mean, I'm thinking about like, this is just a few years after Jaws. It's all the animal killer movies have come out at this point. They all did this, right? It's also the, the post Halloween and Peeping Tom world where we show the POV of the killer, post Black Christmas as well.
0: Yeah, uh, that's one thing I was surprised is we didn't get a lot ink shots of like the snake looking through uh, things. We didn't get a ton of shots of like the snake like with a beady eye pressed against the keyhole or something, and that's I felt like that was what the movie was missing.
1: That this snake had any motives, though it doesn't know what it was supposed to be there for. Like, it gets mixed up at the pet store because it's supposed to go to this toxicology lab, so obviously they can study its antivenom and you know the the effects of its toxin and all this stuff. And so it like it's like it's been misplaced for its job, so it doesn't know what to do, and it's just hanging around. It's stuck in the airport. You know, so I, <laughs> where am I? Sorry, I mean it gets in the ventilation shaft. And that's when they, I mean, they, they're one of their great plans is why don't you turn the heat on? You might lure it to sleep. And all that does is just piss it off. Like, no, don't turn the heat up. So.
0: Yeah. And then she, and then when they kidnap the toxicologist, she's like, well, you guys should have just turned the heat on. Maybe it would go into a coma, which is the opposite of, I think, what they were doing. Because they make a point very early in the movie to, to to say that this house is like incredibly hot inside.
1: Right. Right. So it, would, it wouldn't matter. Something
0: to do with something to do with uh, the kid's asthma.
1: Yeah, which makes a lot of sense, right? Because you'd want to keep a warm environment. You don't want the cold to sneak in on somebody that's got breathing problems.
0: Uh, I mean, I, I grew up with asthma, and I don't particularly remember it, it, the heat being all that good for me. Maybe it's different in England. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, maybe it is that English humidity. I don't know either, but that's the... I think that's just the excuse that they have to keep everybody inside. But no one is ever, like, the only one that's profusely sweating all the time, besides Sterling Hayden, who's sweating gin, is Oliver Reed, who just seems but like he's is... ready to kill somebody.
0: Yeah, you could definitely tell um, that he and Klaus Kinski don't get along. And Oliver oh, yeah. Reed just looks furious the entire movie. And I'm not sure if it's because he's, like, stuffed into an extremely, like, binding girdle or if like, he's going through DTs, or if he just hates Klaus Kinski that much, which really, those two definitely seem like a couple of people who wouldn't get along at all.
1: Oh well, yeah, according to the director, they, they didn't get along to the point that like it started to infuse the performance. And we should say, Pierce Haggard was not the original director of this. I don't know if you saw this note or not. Toby Hooper was supposed to do this, and he basically had a nervous breakdown trying to work with all these people on the set, and just walked away.
0: I mean, that is not this is not an easy set of people to work with in any way, shape, or form, because you've got uh, the notoriously crazy Klaus Kinski, you've got the notoriously drunk Sterling Hayden, you've got the up-and-coming notorious drunk Oliver Reed, and then you've got a legitimate snake.
1: No, no, you, you've got, on top of it, like you said, the deadly snake is also a part of this entire scenario, so... I do kind of think though the fact that they don't get along that they don't like each other works for the performance because you get that Dave is just like hired muscle, but he thinks he's like supposed to be more important anyway, and it really pisses him off that Jaquemel keeps you know tossing him to the side the way he does well Jamel though he has got he's got like no b s filter at all with people like it you know the cop that they have a cop show up at the door to try to tell them, Hey, there's a poisonous snake in your house. Sorry about that. And all Dave can think to do is just blow the dude away from the door. Right? So we've already escalated the issue and Jock Mel just totally demeaned the next guy. Who's like the police commander. He says, I need someone with authority. You bring me authority back, which that's very Tommy was so like. Yeah. That's a... That's a, a I, oh, hi, Mark. Are you the authority on the Black Mamba? <laughs>
0: yeah, that's... uh. I don't understand what higher authority there is than the guy in charge of the hostage situation.
1: I, mean, I, I love that his demands are like, I want a car and a plane and a million dollars. And, this, and I'm like, dude, you just shot a police officer. The only reason we haven't blown your house down is we think the kid's still alive.
0: Right, and then uh, I did enjoy the gambit where they sent out the uh, the maid's severed finger.
1: Um, oh yeah, where they where they've got the toxicologist doctor in there, who I think was in When a Stranger Calls, by the way, but playing a psychiatrist. But they send out the. the the severed finger to like, this is how we know you mean business. But then somebody looks at it and says, um, no, this is a dead finger. So they've cut off poor Susan George's finger, who we should say is not only like sleeping with Dave, but she's also screwing Yakmel.
0: Yeah. And I think that was another thing why they didn't get along. Um, uh, I mean, at least a good, another reason for them to get along, not get along in the movie was that she was screwing both of them. I don't, uh, I, I assume that's not what was happening in real life.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was assuming that that was an an onset issue only in the story. But yeah, that would be another reason for these two not to like it, each other.
0: It almost seems like it's something they added in after the fact to uh, explain the seething hatred between our two supposed uh, conspirators.
1: You know, that's a good point, and I don't have anything to prove otherwise of that, But because uh, I haven't read the book, and I don't think I ever will. But uh, that would make sense if that's a directorial choice. I mean, Haggard will tell you, like, this was a miserable experience. And the fact that they got what they got out of it is amazing to him. Like, he doesn't know how they got the movie they got, probably because of the snake wrangler.
0: Uh, honestly, that 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 end credit where the, they're like, "If it wasn't for the snake wrangler. We wouldn't have a movie. It's yeah, it, it's it, it's the most honest thing in the film.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've talked a good bit about the snake and its performance and its kind of confused look the whole time. Uh, heads up to the, to the snake wrangler who made such an impression that yes, like you say, he got, uh, his own credit in the, the end of this thing, uh, which is uh, David Ball is his name, by the way, which is why they named one of the police uh, people in it after him. Uh, but you know, if it weren't for him, this movie wouldn't have been made.
0: Yeah, I think actually Michael uh Goh was supposed to be playing him.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's supposed to play somebody to yeah, Michael Go, the Alfred from the Batman series, I think is what most of our folks will know him as, what I knew him as too, uh comes in with a policeman through like a battering ram through a basement wall to catch the snake. He's supposed to be the snake wrangler. So he's playing yes, him he's in one the Yes, he's the uh
0: he's the snake handler, I assume, because the real guy couldn't act well enough. Or yeah. the new the real guy was probably busy Making sure you know Oliver Reed didn't kill the snake with alcohol poisoning, or
1: something. right, or or that the snake didn't actually turn on all of them as they had it in so many uh, uh, different scenes. But yeah, that you know when they do that break in, uh, Michael Go runs away and the policeman gets killed and Oliver Reed gets shot. Uh, by the by the cop that uh, is coming in the door because the reason I know that cop got killed you you mentioned it in the plot summary there is the snake goes right for his face and you see him fall backward so ah. I'm to assume he meets Susan George's demise at that point
0: yeah that that that, that makes sense then
1: Oliver Reed gets a terrible death though right because he's not only is he shot and bleeding to death But then he's like trying to move up these stairs and he sees this snake around his foot, which proceeds to crawl up his pants leg and then bite him right in the junk.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that seems like another directorial choice where they weren't too happy with him and they wanted to give him like the most humiliating death they could manage.
1: I mean what a I mean but it, that's a very intense scene. I will say for a a cheesy B picture and that's what this is. And I've said that from the outset. This is I mean that that was intense. Like I was squirming in my chair trying to watch that.
0: Yeah, um that's uh it's definitely a lot more um impactful impactful than the similar scene in Snakes on a Plane and I can't <laughs> help but but feel like Whoever did Snakes on a Plane watched a bunch of snake movies prior to and just said, all right, let's do this, but make it funny.
1: Oh, you know. I mean, yeah, they played it for laughs there. Here it's played for terror and horror. And this is a good time to bring up the score here. Michael Kamen is a name that everyone from the 80s and 90s will know from movie scores land, right? Like, that's a name you know. He's scoring this, and it's like the most overly dramatic you know, tense music you can come up with. It's exactly what you think of Michael Kamen. All
0: I really know him from is the uh and Metallica album.
1: Oh, no, no. Lethal Weapon, man. Like, you, you Re- know that.
0: Oh. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, he's part of that. He did that with – he was known for that kind of sort of – fusion rock jazz score or to do like these big strings and orchestrations. I mean, think about like the the opening to Lethal Weapon when it fades out of jingle bell rock into the guitar bit and then into that high tense bit before the chick jumps off the the balcony, right? Like it's, this is what he does is these overly uh, overwrought dramatic scores. And I just, I got a kick out of the score as much as anything else.
0: Yeah, that's definitely uh, one of the the more positive aspects of the movie one of the things i enjoyed uh second only to snake ovision was the craziness of the score
1: i mean we do get a lot of the snake crawling around in the ventilation shaft it looks around it's looking for stuff to do like the snake works as like for animals on a set they did a pretty good job i i like the snake working and working with the score I mean, you always knew what the snake was it had a theme
0: <laughs> oh that's true it, the, the, the Haunting Snake theme was a lot of fun.
1: So Okay, uh, I, I'm praising this thing, but I feel like you've got some stuff that you really want to throw some darts at. So so go ahead. You have free reign. What, what did not work about this for you?
0: Um, the, the, the hatred between uh, Klaus Kinski and Oliver Reed made me slightly uncomfortable uh, while I was watching it because it felt too real. Uh, I did doze off in the middle of it the first time I watched it.
1: <laughs> did uh, Ollie make it is, through? <laughs> uh,
0: yes, <laughs> she said, "Are you awake?" And I said, "Yes." And I, but then I ended up missing like five or ten minutes of the movie. Um, but I don't. It it felt the the I as much as I enjoyed like Snake O Vision and the weird shots of the snake. I kind of felt like the snake was an afterthought or like they had two short movies that they wanted to put together in one film. They've had this like uh, dog day afternoon uh, hostage drama thing. And then on the other hand, you've got the, uh, the jaws with a snake aspect.
1: Well, well um, you, you've hit on something there. It, it's not, uh, you know, that's not what happened. I mean, it was a contained story, but it is a mix of things. It's like, what if we had international terrorism and kidnapping drama and then we then it got a poisonous snake loose in the room? I mean, that's it sounds like the kind of conversation that would have you know happened when the author came up with the story.
0: And there's also the uh the quasi neglected kid being raised by his grandfather, or at least that's what they seem to establish.
1: He looks up to him for sure, which, I mean, why wouldn't you? Sterling Hayden is like the man's man in this thing, right? He does whatever the hell he wants, and nobody stops him.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, Sterling Hayden is – I still think he should have died in this movie. I think it would have raised the stakes more for him to have been bitten. Yeah. Um,
1: Thematically, like, it would have worked if, like, there was a race to time to, like, try to get, cause we do establish that, like, it takes a little bit for Susan George to die. You know, like, she spends five, 10 minutes before she completely conks out, and she was bitten several times. So maybe if you just had one bite, like, you, there would be time to save you, cause the toxicologist and, is there. Like, they could have played that up. I'm with
0: you. And she was, like, she was bitten on the neck, too. Yeah, like the neck and the face—you don't live that long when you get bitten by the neck on anything,
1: or, or when you're yeah. bitten in the in the uh, genitalia area, apparently either, because that would be main blood flow, I suppose.
0: Well, yeah, and Oliver Reed had also been shot, so
1: true. So that it wasn't like that was helping him. You're right. So but,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the snake was the uh, the least of his problems because it looked like it uh, the, where he was shot would have probably nicked the lung.
1: Yeah, he wasn't getting out of that. Like he, he was gonna need immediate medical attention. There was no surviving that. I I agree. Yeah, um it
0: it it just doesn't seem like all the parts like if they had picked a couple of things and focused on something a little bit more or had a a less hilarious death for Klaus Kinski, I think it might have worked. I, I wanted to see the grandfather in peril or even better, I wanted to see the kid get bitten.
1: Well, see, that would have also raised the tension as well. I mean, we should talk about what happens here is everybody kind of bands together, and the, the grandpa's the one that knows that it's a mamba who did the bite because he sees Susan George, and he's like, oh, I've seen that before. That ain't going to work, you know? And so he's the safari hunter, and he kills like a a lamp cord or something with a shovel, and, you know, we think it's the snake, but no, here comes the snake after him again, and it, it is this hilarious... uh thing where the snake ends up going after Klaus Kinski because it, it is like the snake decides Klaus is next and just takes him out when it finally comes through the wall at him and bites him on the back of the head
0: yeah it was it's um it's weirdly focused on him and I'm not 100% sure why aside from plot convenience
1: there's nothing yeah. that that should have said that he was the guy that that should have you know the snake fixated on like that.
0: I mean, or I mean, unless there's like, unless snakes are attracted to drugs somehow.
1: <laughs> now we can't actually prove that was happening. It just looks like it. So. But you're right. Yeah, if it's uh, a duck and quacks, it probably is. <laughs> the,
0: the casual he's libel dead. hour uh, is now over.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> except well, he's he's I mean, long dead. I'm gonna so say he's I dead. He's okay. and I don't I don't think his estate's gonna come after you for trashing him for venom. I don't think he's known. For, is that just on his IMDb page known for venom? I I would doubt it. So uh, probably not what he goes down uh, most remembered for here. But w- let's talk about that crazy ending though, because it is insane. Like what happens like the you got the police surrounding everything that we've gone back and forth that you said you fell asleep when you went back and watched it again. Did you realize that you didn't miss anything because you could snooze through about 25 minutes of this and wake up and be like, where, where are we? Oh, OK, grandpa's got a shovel. We're good. Like you really once once Oliver Reed dies, there's nothing else you need to know to the very end.
0: Well, and I i what I slept through was a lot of Sterling Hayden roaming the house looking for the snake. OK. And I I think that's part of the reason why I fell asleep was that I was kind of bored by it because I never thought for a minute that grandpa was going to get bitten.
1: Right. Right. Which makes sense. Like why there's because we've already established that he's indestructible at this point. Like there's been too many close calls and they haven't pulled the trigger on it. So they're not going to do that now. And as we've said, they're, they're not going to go there. So, it's just him skulking around the house, and then the snake, like we said, decides to pop out of the uh, you know ceiling and bite Klaus Kinski on the back of the head, and then like it becomes en- entangled around his arm and something while he's waving that gun around, you know. And I'm like, somebody's gonna get shot by accident as he tries to shoot the snake before he you know falls out the uh, balcony to be open for sniper fire.
0: Yeah, I kind of expected that too cuz he's he really is flailing a lot. And I don't know if that's because he's tried to make the rubber snake look alive or if they didn't tell him it was a rubber snake and he thought it was a real snake. Um
1: I could that would have been funny, right? Like if they if they didn't tell him like, "Hey man, this is just going to be the fake one." And he starts wigging out like that, that would have been awesome.
0: <laughs> Although I'm sure that, you know, he would have found a reason to wig out either way cuz that's kind of the acting choices that he's known for.
1: I was going to say that, that is his thing, right? That's his, as our, our friends over on, uh, out of did this get made? would say that's his actor secret. Like, yes. You know, his actor
0: secret is that he's kind of crazy and,
1: and he's on Coke and he just got bitten by, by a poisonous snake. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so that combination of things is not working well for his, uh, mental state.
0: Yeah, for all we know, he brought that gun from home. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Probably so, could have been so. But we did do get that great end though, where he's all he's trying to do, like he realizes the gig is up, the cops are gonna gun him down. But by God, he's gonna shoot that friggin' snake! <laughs> like he he is like trying to steady himself just so he can get one straight shot at that snake's face, and he finally does.
0: Yeah, that is that is a pretty cool shot, though I will say cuz they they did pack a tiny rubber snake head with dynamite and and make it pop that was fun
1: yeah and then look they fall to the the ground or to the i don't know the, the next level together and just sort of splat you know on the on the uh uh landing there and th- that's it that's how the whole thing goes down
0: after he gets shot like 18 times.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, the cops unload on him. It's They're yeah, no it's a, quarter taken. So.
0: Yeah, it's a real uh, Bonnie and Clyde situation.
1: That's a movie I didn't think we were going to reference tonight, but yeah. So.
0: <laughs> well, I could have said it's a real uh, Devil's Reject situation. It's also it that,
1: would, yeah.
0: It so. would have surprised me a bit if Rob Zombie hadn't also... Wasn't also a huge fan of Venom.
1: I wouldn't be surprised at all. So, what, how big of a fan are you? I guess we're at the Pirate well, Rangers time to do final thoughts and uh, popcorn ratings on Venom. So, Ron, lay it on us.
0: I've been going over this one in my head since I watched it the second time. Uh, I, I get why it would be like the kind, I get why it's memorable to you. I get why it was a thing that was discussed on the playground. It makes a lot of sense that you've got this mishmash of everything popular in the early 80s all kind of crammed together in the same flick. Um, but it it never quite works for me for the many of the reasons that we've discussed. Um, the animosity is kind of weird. It, it gives it a weird feeling. Klaus Kinski, just in general, is unsettling to watch. Um, I do appreciate Snake Ovision, and I do appreciate the fact that it's a real snake, and they are committed to getting the most out of they can out of that snake. But it feels like there's a lot of people who don't serve a like. You could kill Sterling Hayden. You could kill uh, Sarah Miles. The, um, the the doctor, the, yeah. yeah, doctor, the doctor of snakeology or whatever her degree is in. <laughs> you you could kill a lot of of those people off to raise these stakes, and it just feels like they they want to split the difference between a, a creature feature and a like a locked room drama, crime drama kind of thing. So I'm gonna go with a medium popcorn. There. Uh, there's a lot of fun, crazy elements. There's a lot of interesting things to look at sometimes, but it's not, not nearly enough to kind of justify the flick for me. I think it's the kind of thing you could put on in the background at like a Halloween party. And then everybody just looks up when someone starts screaming or guns start being shot or whatever. And I think you'd be fine.
1: I don't know what kind of Halloween parties you go to, but Holy cow.
0: One's <laughs> full of poisonous snakes, obviously. <laughs>
1: I'll say this. I agree with you on the rating. I'm with you. It's medium popcorn territory all the way, but this is enjoyable. Like, again, there's 20 minutes of it. Where you can just check out and ignore it. But I think that's part of the charm of this movie is how ridiculous it is. Like, I, it, I, is, a, it is a childhood favorite, but I, I think there's just something fun about how preposterous all of this comes off. And I have a blast with it. And so I, I'm medium popcorn on it as well. But I do think it's one of those that's sort of forgotten. It's hidden back there in the back of the genre. But you got to find it, folks. It's on prime right now, I think. And you may yes. you know, see it stream on shutter or something sometime. But I say give it a spin. Definitely watch it, but watch it with a group of people. I do think it's more fun if you've got a bunch of people there especially people that will appreciate the type of film it is or what it's trying to be. And then again, you can sort of zone out for, you know, while grandpa skulking around the house for a bit, but that finale is fantastic. So
0: I think that this movie would be perfect for a rediscovery by like riff tracks.
1: Oh, that would be great. You know, those guys, can you pitch it to them?
0: I don't love those guys just because I've like (laughs) met them before. I'd love to honestly, because I think this would be hilarious because I had, The first half an hour, I have a blast with I had a blast just making fun of the movie and throwing out random lines to make myself laugh. Yeah. And this is the perfect kind of movie for that. So I think you're onto something with your uh, watch it with friends, um, you know, get a pizza and yell stupid comments at the screen.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely it's one that you can enjoy with a group of people, but it's been a, an interesting entry into our Shocktober here, so we're, we're having a little fun with this. You know, we're, we're trying to do variety this year on the film strip Shocktober, and we've done series and all that kind of stuff, and those are great, right? Like, we have a lot of fun with those, but this year we thought, ah, eh, let's let's break out of the mold, let's do something a little different, We'll we'll throw some... Some different things that people. So, we, I mean, we did Carnosaur, which, uh, you know, that's a, a definitely fun genre pick that you picked out. And you and I kicked it all off with a uh, a Lifetime movie, which is horrific and crazy about sleepwalking and <laughs> sex omnia and stuff like that. And now we've done this. And how are we going to end it? I mean, Ron, how can we end Shocktober with a bang?
0: Well, you know, that's interesting because we have had a, was uh, our, a uh, previous special guest from Generation Y, was he the beginning of our Shocktober month?
1: It was late September, so technically it was, it was pre-Shocktober.
0: It was part of our Shocktober warm-up, and we're sliding right into uh, the next entry in our Shocktober month of random genre picks with another special guest, and we are going to be covering the Devil's Rejects, the Rob Zombie classic, speaking of your Halloween series.
1: Yeah, exactly. We're we're gonna be picking up a another Rob Zombie film, Devil's Rejects, like he said. With the other host of the Generation Y. Aaron's gonna come on with us this time, and I'm really excited about that to see what all uh, you know you two come up with in that review. Because I have a strange relationship with that movie, and I'm real curious to go back and revisit it. But it's a fun way to end Shocktober for us this year, and then. Ron, you and I are going to – we're going to pick up the swords. We're going to pick up the the stars, the the sigh. We're going to do some ninja love here. We're doing three ninja films in November because why not have ninja November?
0: Yes, it's uh, the perfect way to uh, kickstart your Thanksgiving by – Carving up some people like turkeys.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Right. So we got three films here that I'm not sure they're actually related to one another, but we're going to say they are enter the Ninja return of the Ninja and Ninja three, the domination.
0: Yes. The, uh, the classic much requested by me, Ninja three, the domination is yeah. finally coming to film strip.
1: Yeah. We are going to get that one out here on film strip. And then of course, December, you know, we've got the big star Wars would coming up, but there may be something else. I'm also going to go ahead and let you know, folks, there's going to be one more entry in the Stanley Kubrick, uh, uh, retrospective this year at least one more Kurt and I finally reviewed the very controversial Lolita so we'll try to put that out that's another one that's a great movie right around uh, you know Thanksgiving time let's talk about pedophilia as a wrong call, <laughs> so I mean, why not?
0: But so, are you, you going to follow it up with the Jeremy Irons? Uh, no, we'll no,
1: it. we are not. I do talk about that one and that one, but we we have decided to just try to stick to straight Kubrick. stuff. the only thing we're going to deviate from that is when we do get around to 2001, we're going to take a side trip and do 2010. Um, nice. Yeah, because I think it needs to be done. Those are so closely tied to one another. You just—it's hard to not do the other one. But the remake of of uh, Lolita. While uh, will well, go gonna spool it down, no, don't, don't, <laughs> unless you just really want to be disturbed. But all kinds of fun to be had here on the podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you get your show. Leave us a review too. Continuous Play Podcast. Filmstrip is the name of the show, but of course you can go to continuousplaypodcast.com. You'll find all of our podcast ventures, and we do appreciate your support. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip.
0: Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.